Good morning. Are we good this morning? How can you not be after all that, right? That's good stuff. And I understand that you are in the middle of doing some serious reading of the Bible. How many of you are doing that? Wow, that's impressive. And so this week, tell me where you were. Just, I'm just making, sh just testing, because I know where you are supposed to be. Yeah, yeah no looking. So when I, when I think about um, Exodus, uh, one of the things that I grew up with was an old movie called The Ten Commandments. Any of you remember that movie? If you haven't seen that, now's a good time to watch it. It's 1956, and it's kind of the first special effects, you know, like when the Red Sea is parted and Moses throws down the rod and it becomes a serpent and things like that. And uh, it's, But you've got to be prepared because it's three hours and 40 minutes. So you have to have like an intermission at an hour and 50 minutes and eat, and then you can go back and watch. You know, it's one of those kind of movies. But there's always, it's funny because when I get into Exodus 3 and I'm reading about Moses in the burning bush, I hear God's voice from that movie. Do you guys remember it? Moses. You remember? And, uh, but it's, it's a great movie while you're reading through Exodus to pull up from Netflix or somewhere and watch because you'll see some of the, the unique pieces of it. I, I'm one of those guys that enjoys when people take time to create something like that because you get to see it from a different set of lenses. Uh, I was telling Jake last night about something new that's out called The Chosen. Have any of you bumped into that yet? Yeah, so The Chosen is something that um, you can watch on an app, you can throw it up on your TV, you know, that kind of thing and watch. But it's, um, it's the, the kind of first TV show about Jesus, meaning it's multiple episodes. They've got eight done now, and then they're continuing to do a, a second season and all that. But I love watching those kinds of things because it lets you have a different set of lenses in how you see Jesus. Like in this particular episode, Shell and I watched this week where um, Peter, you know, he's been out fishing all night, nothing, you know, and he's with Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Zebedee, their dad, and, and Jesus finishes teaching, and, and Andrew had told him about Jesus, but Peter was like, yeah, whatever, you know, and he kind of had that attitude, just kind of like, whatever. And, um, and so Jesus asked if he can use his boat to teach off his, yeah, make, you know, have a good day, you know, that kind of attitude. And then at the very end, he looks at Peter when the crowd is dismissed, and he says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And Peter's like, sir, I don't mean any disrespect, but we've been doing this all night. We're fishermen. And Andrew says, come on, let's just, let's just do it. And they throw it in there, and, and once it kind of sinks and gets where it needs to be, I mean, it's just pow! And all of a sudden, fish just come jumping, and, and they're all freaking out. And, and, you know, James and John are on the shore at this, and they come sprinting over with the dad to try to grab so they don't lose any. And you, they just show Jesus, and I told Cheryl, the way it looked to me is he was just watching human beings in an amazing moment. And Jesus is just, he's taking it all in. But look at these guys, they're running around like chickens with their heads cut. This is awesome, you know? And, and it lets you see things through a very, very different set of lenses. So as you're going through things like the Bible, when you run across um, movies or things, it's a great way just, and they don't always get all the facts right, okay, but don't let that bend you out of shape. Instead, just kind of look at it through a different set of lenses and see it that way. And so today, as we talk about Exodus 1 to 15, there's a couple of things that I would like to, to highlight for you. So first... I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but what you read this week is one of the most riveting 
portions of the entire scriptures. You know, it, it begins here um, with the rescue of a baby from the Nile. Now, I don't know if you've thought much about this before, but could you imagine what it was like that the Egyptian pharaoh had asked them to throw all the babies, about two years of age and under, into the Nile? And one mom, Jochebed, Moses' mother, refused to do it and says they hid him for three months. You can do that with a, you know, a little baby because the cries aren't so loud, but about three months, probably the cries started getting a little louder and it was tougher to do this. And she probably sought the Lord. But I want you as moms, even as dads, brothers and sisters today, to think about what it would be like to take your baby and to create like a little ark, a little boat for that baby and put it in the river. And they didn't put it in the middle of the Nile because mom knew he'd go floating down, but kind of in the bushes on the side. But imagine what it would be like to walk away from that. What an amazing story. The courage of the mother. We'll come back to her in a minute. We see Moses encountering God at the burning bush. And to build a little bit here on what Crystal was saying, the burn, a burning bush was something that, it actually was not an uncommon thing in that it was lightning strikes. And so bushes would burn out. What was the unique thing, as Crystal was highlighting for us, is this thing wasn't being consumed. So imagine you just being outside and there's a beautiful green bush and it's on fire. Well, you know if it's on fire, it's supposed to be brown and turning black and smoky. None of it. It was, it was its regular bush and it wasn't being consumed. And that's what caused Moses, like I imagine Moses you know, talking to someone and just kind of doing this number every once in a while, like, why is that thing not burning out? You know? And finally he just goes, hey, go ahead and eat. I, I'm going to go check this out. And when he walks up, he has an encounter with God. So we have this story. We've got Moses going back to Egypt, the place that he left to deliver God's people. We see the 10 plagues, and we're gonna look at some of those here in a minute, and we see the crossing of the Red Sea. It's a remarkable portion of scripture where God's character is on display. I don't know if you think this way, but I, I do. I, I believe that the primary reason that God gave us the scriptures was because he wanted to reveal himself to us, to show us what he's really like. Because we all walk around with a little bit of this garbled sense of what God's life like. And in Exodus, God is on full display in who he is, in all his glory, his might, his compassion, his protection as they paint the blood on the doorpost. We see God's character. When you read the Bible, don't just only get caught in the story or sometimes, like in Leviticus, the lack of story. Because you're coming to that one soon, all right? But instead kind of pop the hood and look underneath and see the character of God. Like, what's God trying to show me? I'm using my iPad today, but if I had my Bible with you, I'd show you that, that as I've read through my Bible, I've taken a purple pencil and I've highlighted every name, title, and attribute of God's character in my Bible. So that when I open it, I'm reminded that that's the primary thing that he's wanting to reveal to me is this is who I am. This is what I'm really like as opposed to what we walk around thinking it was like. So remember that as we look at these things. So just quick background on Exodus. Exodus 6.6 6 is, is, is kind of the key verse of the book of Exodus, and it's really about Israel's redemption and deliverance of God's chosen people. Look, look at what Exodus 6.6 6 says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. Every, every 
uh, book of the Bible has like a key verse that kind of, and what I mean by that is it's summarized with the, what the whole book is about. And this is the one we find here in Exodus, God delivering them from a stuck place that they had been for 400 years and redeeming them, saving their lives and setting them up for a beautiful future. It was likely written by Moses during his 40-year wilderness journey, which about, you're about to get into here in the reading, and it possibly was edited by him in the plains of Moab, where he rehearses Deuteronomy. We get Deuteronomy from. But it was probably his dot and I's and cross and T's to make sure before his death that it was written well. And again, you guys finished Genesis last week. So, you know, sometimes with, when we read the Bible, if we don't take the time to do what you're wonderfully doing this year, you, you, you think, well, this happened the next day. So, you know, okay. Genesis 50, Exodus 1, and the next day, no, 400 years later. Like, and again, just perspective, this year is our 400-year anniversary, 1620, of the pilgrims leaving England. So just like a little paradigm, that's how long we're talking, from where you ended your reading last week to where you are this week. 400 years goes by. And we all know the story of, you know, the pilgrims, and all, but, but we all think, that was a long time ago, right? But this is the same distance we're talking about here. So they had been stuck in that place for 400 years. Pharaoh was getting nervous about them because they were growing and expanding. He didn't quite know what to do with them. Well, in the midst of this story, you read about the ten plagues. And I want to show you something here about the plagues. First, look at this, this verse, Numbers 33 Verses 3 and 4, it says, On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were bearing all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. And then look at this. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. Now the Lord was revealing his character first and primarily to his people Israel to show them what he was really like. But he also put his character on display for the Egyptians to see. And I don't know if you've connected this or not, but each of the ten plagues, like you just kind of go like, why did God just go, okay, how about we do boils? Uh, I think the locusts would be good. here. No, there was actually strategy to what God did. And with each plague, he was encountering and challenging one of their gods. Now, I'm going to give you a suggestion of the god that he may have been going after, but because they had so many gods, you could say, well, that one and that one and that one could be tied in, and you're probably right. But I just want you to realize that our God is a God of judgment in this way. So sometimes when we think of judgment, we just think of like God pointing his finger and lightning bolts, you know, coming out. We have to realize God brings judgment for only one reason, to get our hearts to turn. To get our hearts to turn, to turn back towards him. In Ezekiel 14, Leviticus 26, and Revelation 6, it lists four things that God does when he brings judgment. Famine, ecological disasters, war, and disease. Now, today's not the time to do this, but it's, it's worth looking at the scriptures and realizing that there are times when things come, even upon our land, we're so used to, you know, turn on the TV or we're looking at something online and hey, there was a tornado and there was an earthquake and there's a famine and there's, and we just kind of go, we, you know, if we care about it, we'll just say, well, Lord, we pray that you'd, you know, if not, it's just next. And we've almost gotten hardened to it. Have you noticed this? Like when a disaster happens and people are losing, it's just like, oh, that's too bad, next. 
But sometimes we have to pause and ask the question, I wonder if God's trying to get our attention. Like, I remember the day after 9-11. War. War. Our country had been attacked. The Sunday, so that was a Tuesday, the, su- the next two Sundays after, our church was packed to the gills. People who had never been in church, people who hadn't been in church for all, they all came because they knew something's going on. It lasted about a month. But God even uses things. I'm not saying God intended that. I'm just saying God redeems things to try to get us to focus back on where we need to focus. But just like the Israelites, sometimes we go, why in the world did they have to be out there 40 years? And we think, well, if that was us, it would have been three weeks. Probably not. Because we do the same thing. We miss the messages of God. We miss what he's trying to say. But I always want you to know that when judgment's coming, it's yes, because of sin. It's because of idolatry. It's because of those kinds of things. But I want you to understand that God brings judgment out of a heart of love to get us to turn. To get us to turn towards him. So don't just think it's God just kind of pulling the grenade and dropping it and turning away. Mm-mm. It's just like some of you as moms and dads. So there's certain times you will discipline your children so that they turn. They make a turn in their habits. They make a turn in the way they're doing things. It's not just to be mad and ticked off and blow your stack. No, it's to be deliberate and intentional so they turn. It's the same thing in the heart of God. So I want you to see that. So he's even giving the Egyptians an opportunity to turn. Okay? So look at these plagues quickly with me here. So the first one, as you remember, had to do with the Nile. Well, the Nile River was the heart and life of Egypt. It, remember, Egypt is in, is in the middle of the desert. So this river, the Nile flowing through it, was the lifeblood of the whole nation. It, it was the source of food and fish. It's where they would bathe. It's where they get their drinking water from. It's where commerce would travel down. It was central. And so the Lord knew what he was doing. And isn't it interesting that the first plague that God brings into Egypt deals directly with what had happened earlier with children being thrown into the Nile? And God deals specifically with it. He starts with that one. And he's going after a God here that is spelled H-A-P-I, pronounced Hapi or Happy. And this was the God. It was the Egyptian God of the Nile. And God was confronting this specific God through this act. And obviously this, the, you know, the Egyptians are watching and they're watching for this goddess to step in and to go at, nothing happens. All right? We realize here, secondly, frogs. Now, it is an interesting thing to do a study on just the natural results, like when the Nile gets bloody, the frogs who are in it are going to leave. So there's, this, there's a whole natural study to the supernatural piece, but some of this stuff is just the supernatural hand of God that comes in and does stuff. But the way he's made the planet, he knows that, so he can play off of that as well. Well, the frogs were something very sacred, And the reason they were sacred to the Egyptians is because they could live in water and on land. They thought, this is awesome. They must be be like a god, so they would worship them. And there was uh, Geb, G-E-B, the Egyptian god of the earth. Excuse me, my iPad skipped. Hecate, the Egyptian goddess of fertility and birth who had the head of a frog. Not a very attractive woman, let's just say that, all right? But this was nonetheless the goddess that they would worship. 
And so God is directly going after this. And what was really interesting to me is stepping on a frog was punishable by death. Could you imagine the difficulties that the Egyptians are literally walking through, you know, trying to do this because they know they can't step on them, yet they're showing up everywhere. Imagine going into, okay, it's laundry day, and you go into your laundry basket and four frogs jump out. You know, or you're going in to get dressed, and there they are in your pockets. I mean, they, this was not a good scene. And all the frogs left the Nile, and they came on land. All right? So the Egyptians were violating their own laws while trying to avoid stepping on them. You would think this would turn a people. And of course we go, well, if I was there, I would have repented by now. The third plague, lice. From the dust of the earth, if you remember Moses kind of grabbed some ash there and, and it's tied to how some, they would do some sacrifices where the ash were and he took this and he blew on it and it spread and with it, lice. And this is an interesting one. Again, Geb, the Egyptian god of the earth. There was lice on both beasts and people and check this out, the pagan priests of the land had to be clean, which specifically included being infected by lice. So this plague prevented the high priests from doing their duties. They couldn't go to the temples and help people worship God because they were dealing with the same lice problem. Don't you think, at the, like imagine lice being in everything. I mean, you're shaking the sheets and the clothes and the, it's in the food, it's on the, it's everywhere. Don't you think there might be the pressure the godly, loving pressure of repentance. No. They still don't turn. The fourth plague. We call it in our Bible flies, but in the Hebrew it doesn't mean flies. It actually means swarms. Swarms. And it's the Egyptian god, Keper, who kept, check this out, had a dung beetle in place of his head. Dung beetles feed on manure. Mm-hmm. And they believed that the swarms were not flies, they were dung beetles flying throughout the night. And these dung beetles were so incredible, they could, uh, they could saw actually through wood. So imagine this infestation of dung beetles carrying a little manure with them, because that's where they like to come from and hang out. I would be repenting by now. It's like, I don't like the smell. I don't like the way these things look. Everywhere I walk, I'm crunching on them, which, by the way, I'm crunch, crunching on the frog still left over, and I'm itching from the lice. I mean, guys, this is a mess. The fifth plague, death of cattle and livestock. Hather, the Egyptian goddess of love and protection, was depicted with the head of a cow. She was the symbolic mother of Pharaoh. And this one was given with advance warning, allowing for a time of repentance to occur. So after the fourth plague, God says, before I'm going to send the fifth one, I'm going to give them a pause to see if the itching, stepping, dung beetle, can't drink the Nile River is going to turn their hearts. And as we know, it doesn't. And so God goes after the cattle. This one was enormous because of the economic disaster on the nation. Cattle were not only highly valued, but considered sacred. And so here's this prized piece of their land now being completely wiped out. Cattle and livestock. They still don't turn. Pharaoh's heart becomes hardened. The sixth plague boils. The Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace whose name ironically is Isis. Priests impacted by the boils so horribly that they were unable to stand themselves to serve their countrymen. Imagine boils over everything. The seventh plague, 
Newt, spelled like nut. Newt, the Egyptian goddess of the sky. Here comes hail destroying the crops that made their clothing. This was a specific, like this, the crops that were still around. The Lord went after this. It, it allowed them to have difficulty not only to feed themselves, but to even create new clothing. Gone. Completely gone. You wonder, don't you, if the people were running to the pharaohs, to, the, to Pharaoh saying, uh, when are we going to call a timeout here? It would be interesting, be, be interesting to watch that DVD in heaven to see what they were doing, huh? The eighth plague, locusts, the god Seth, the Egyptian god of storms and disorder, whatever crops were now left were completely destroyed by locusts because the locusts go after anything that's green. So anything that was left, as they come through, is now gone. Guys, we're talking about a wreck of a nation, the greatest nation in the world, and God showing them who God is. And he's going after their gods, showing them that they are like nothing. The ninth plague, complete darkness. This is going after their primary god next to Pharaoh, the god of Ra, the sun god, the most worshipped god in Egypt. It says darkness, this is an interesting thing, darkness came upon the land that could be felt. So imagine a darkness that is pressing in on you. And yet it says, so I, I would love to have had a picture of this, and this is where you could get the drone in the sky because over here is all darkness in Egypt and it says where Israel was, it was light. The sun was still shining. God contrasting darkness and light right in front of their eyes of both the Israelites and the Egyptians. And finally, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh, the ultimate power of Egypt, a son of Ra. And it's interesting to note that he didn't die, which means he wasn't the firstborn. But his son, who was to replace him, was a firstborn. This attacked at least four gods. Meshkaneth, the goddess presiding over the birth of children. Serket, the goddess of protection, was absolutely powerless in this. Renenulet, the special protector of the Pharaoh, was nowhere to be found. Nor was Osiris, the giver and ruler of life. And yet over here, Israel was protected by the blood on the doorposts. You know, when we just read through the plagues like that, I mean, it's bad, but when all of a sudden you start taking it in context and you think about Knoxville, Tennessee, if a plague like this came upon this land and we had frogs jumping out of the river during the UT football game, you know, and we had these kinds of things happening to us, it would cause us to go time out what's going on. But instead, the Bible tells us Pharaoh's heart is hardened and God brings judgment on the land of Egypt and he challenges their gods. And there was no one like Israel's God. And that is still true this day, isn't it? No one like Israel's God. So I just wanted you to see that as you read that this week to give you a little backdrop of what was going on. Now, I want to jump into a little bit about Moses, all right? You're going to be introduced, you're introduced to Moses this week, but you're going to carry on with Moses here for a while. And you're going to bump into him from time to time as he is rehearsed throughout the scriptures. So let's look at Moses a little bit. Chapters 1 to 4 deal with the preparation, preparation of the leader that God chooses. Probably next to Jesus, and then you've got Paul in the New Testament, Moses may be the most impacting leader of the Old Testament. And there's a direct preparation of Moses' life that I would like for you to take a look at your own life today. See, God doesn't develop people the same way the world does. 
And today in our culture, you know, because living in Nashville, it's like, man, if they can sing and they're 13 or 14, man, they're up on the stage. See, and we put pressure on young people. Do you know that they say in Nashville that there are a good chunk of people who have hits from songs they've written that when they were done, kind of squeezed out by the music industry, there are literally people like that that are living under bridges in Nashville today because they were chewed up and spit out by the music industry, got what they got from them, and then cut them loose, and some of them don't have any of that money today and are literally living on the streets of Nashville. Bizarro. And see, what can happen is we can get caught up in what's going on in our world right now that we forget that God has a plan to develop your life. Do you realize that you don't really hit your stride in life until somewhere in your 50s, into your 60s? Like, like that's the stride? Like your 20s and 30s, I always, I'm with 20s and 30s a lot, and I always remind them of this. When you're in your 20s and 30s, it's way more important to focus on what God's building in you than what he's doing through you. Because in your 20s and 30s, it's always about God building character in you. So that when things later in life come, you have the character that can sustain what he's trying to push through your life. But see, our culture goes completely against that. Even the guy we're talking about, think about this. So when you think of Moses, I want you to think of Moses 40, 40, 40. He lived to be 120 years old. But these 40-year periods mark his life. And the first two of them, which you see here, the Egyptian education, best education in the whole world God gave him. God was equipping an Israelite leader, a Hebrew leader, through the best education on the planet at the time. And then there was a wilderness preparation. You know, wilderness is like, what the heck am I doing here? Like, what the heck? It's, you know, imagine Moses at 59, 69 years of age. He's been dealing with sheep for 29 years. It's, tomorrow's his 70th birthday. You know, and he's humming that, I have a destiny, you know, and, 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 and yet he's 69. And think about it, at 79 years of age. What I want you to see, two-thirds of Moses' life was preparation for the third. Ten-elevenths of Jesus' life was preparation for that one-eleventh. And I just want you to note as we look at Moses and you look at your own life that we often think, well, by the time I'm 23 or 25, I better be this and this and this. And, and I just want to say, relax. Press into God. Let him lead and guide your life. Moses' first 40 years, he was the prince of Egypt. And then God does a work, brings him out into the wilderness and does some other things. And we can look at this a different way. If you look at this as well, he's saved for God's purposes, shaped for God's purposes, and sent for God's purposes. And that's what I just want us to look at here for a few minutes today. So let's take a look at this first one. He was saved for God's purposes. His mother and sister make a daring move to save his life. They said when they looked at Moses, they saw something special on this child. And I don't know if, if mom had a hunch that this was to deliver, we don't really know. But it says that they saw something on this little boy's life. And they did a daring thing to save his life. As you might remember, she said, the mother serves as the nursemaid. Remember, the sister Miriam is just kind of watching over here on the side. And when Pharaoh's daughter, who happens to be out bathing, sees this little baby, we don't know if Moses, you know, it says he was crying when she opened that thing up and probably her heart of mercy and she realized this is a Hebrew child. Maybe there was a cloth on the child that was the Hebrew, we don't really know. 
but something that revealed this. And here's Miriam, and she steps up, the, the little sister, Moses' older sister, and says, would you like me to find a nursemaid? And here, probably for the next three or four years, Moses gets to be raised by his own mom. Amazing. His mother must have let him know something of his Hebrew roots. Somewhere along that line is a three, four-year-old. She's saying, did you know that you are a part of the tribe where we have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your daddy? Something got sewn into Moses' life during that time. So God watching over him, saved for a purpose. And check out some of these sovereign protections, the hand of God's guidance. Pharaoh's chosen instrument of destruction for the children, the Nile, is the means for saving Moses. A member of Pharaoh's own family undermines Pharaoh's policies and actually saves the very person who will ultimately defeat Pharaoh. Egyptian royalty, through Pharaoh's daughter, heeds a Hebrew girl's advice and receives the seed of its own destruction. Moses' mother gets paid from Pharaoh's own budget to do what she most wants to do. So, so here, one day, it's like, they're poor, they're putting Moses, she's heartbreaking, she turn, and, and just a few minutes later, it's like, hey, mom, guess what? They want you to take care of her, and by the way, you're going to get paid for it. And all the moms went, amen, all right? <laughs> okay. Moses is educated to be an Israel, Israelite leader within the very court of Pharaoh. God uses Egypt to train Moses in things there's no way he could have gotten in any other way. Pharaoh's daughter gives Moses a name that is prophetic. Moses means to be drawn from the water. And it's interesting because not only is Moses drawn from the water, but God uses Moses to take them through the waters of the Red Sea. It's amazing the saving of Moses, God's hand on his life. Now check this out, how about shaped for God's purposes? Now think about this, he's beginning to be shaped for God's purposes in Egypt, but then in the wilderness. In the wilderness, it represents obscurity and serving another master, his father-in-law, Jethro. Can I, can I just say something to you? Have you ever considered that in your 30s and 40s right now, maybe even in your 20s, that the job that you're in right now may not be the full calling on your life? And some, some of you are going, well, I hope not, all right? But did you realize God may be using that thing to add tools to your tool belt? to be shaping your character, to be equipping you with capacity, that it's not your end game yet, but it's God actually shaping you, just like he did with Moses. And sometimes, you guys, it's in total obscurity. Nobody knows your name. Nobody cares what you do. You're so behind the scenes, but you know I was made for more than that. Probably so. But right now, it's yielding to what God's trying to build in you. And Moses had to do the same. He had to yield to what God was doing. I want to show you five things here briefly from Psalm 90. Psalm 90, by the way, is a psalm of Moses. Half of the psalms are David's. The other half belong to others. Well, this one belongs to Moses. And I want to take these five things just to show you quickly things that he learned during some of this wilderness time. Verse 2 of Psalm 90 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. One of the things God knew Moses was going to need, like a steel rod in his spine, was knowing God's character. Because he knew that when he would go to stand before Moses or Pharaoh, Pharaoh would look at him and say, you're a looney tunes, I'm not doing what you're saying. Are you kidding me? He knew that when they were told that you gotta make more bricks, but you don't have any straw to make those bricks, that Moses was gonna have to be, be able to stand strong. 
And so here, from everlasting to everlasting, you're a God. God had revealed himself to Moses of what he was really like. And so Moses began to spend time getting to know God's character. It let him stand as he hit the stride of his calling. You guys, there's things God wants to add to your life. So when you hit the stride of your calling, you're able to stand. A second one out of verse 3. You return man to dust. Moses was no longer an Egyptian prince, but rather living life on an even playing field with all people. This was a new thing for him. Everywhere he would go, he was honored. People would bow down. They would do what he would say. Now he's on a level playing field. He's got all these ladies around, the sisters and all this kind of thing. It's a whole different world for Prince Moses. And what God is doing is he's working into him humility. Brokenness. Brokenness doesn't mean like a jar smashing on the ground. Brokenness means a yieldedness to what God's wanting to do. And obedience. He's working into Moses, obeying God. I want to ask you a question. Are you in a season of life where God is trying to work humility into you? Where maybe he's trying to work brokenness into you, where you're actually dependent on God, where John 15, 5 becomes real to you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And God's working that into you. Or maybe it's obedience. Maybe God's wanting to show you things that you can follow. See, he's he's building this man of character in Moses because he knows what he wants to push through him. Can I just say this to you? God knows down the road what he wants to push through you. Or for those of you that are somewhere in your 50s or maybe in your 60s, you're getting primed or you might be in your stride right now. It's a different way to look at life and we see what God can do in preparing us. He's very deliberate, especially if we cooperate with him of what he builds inside of us. The third one we see in verse eight. You have set your iniquities before you, our sins in the light of your presence. All of mankind is accountable before God, Israelites, Egyptians, and the Pharaoh alike. God began to reveal to Moses the sinfulness of creation, idolatry that could spring from someone's heart. And he needed to understand that as he goes into Pharaoh's court. And there's the worship. I mean, this was the number one purpose, person they worshiped in Egypt. And so to be able to go and stand, he needed to know this guy who he had known growing up is not some God but he's a person who has also sinned. So God taught him that. The Israelites were sinners, the Egyptians, even Pharaoh. He needed to understand that as he would go face to face with Pharaoh. Verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God desired for Moses to learn his ways and to gain wisdom. You might know this verse in Proverbs. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom which means reverencing and referencing God in all that you do. And Moses had to have the fear of God on him to go walking into the Egyptian palace. Because of that fear of the Lord, he was able to do that. Because of that fear of the Lord, he had wisdom. Because he knew God's ways, he could trust where God was leading and guiding him. Here's the last one, the fifth one. Verses 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children, let the favor of the Lord be upon us. Moses was becoming dependent on God's glorious power and favor, necessary ingredients to deal with Pharaoh and Egypt. Pay attention to what God's trying to add to you. 
Some, some of you guys, just by virtue of, of who we are and the size of the group, some of you are walking through really rough times right now, and you can't figure it out. You're actually mad at God because you feel like, I'm supposed to be here, and God's supposed to be blessing, and I'm dealing with this, and I want to say to you, whoa, 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 whoa. That same God that loves you still loves you. He adores you. But he also has made you for a purpose to glorify his name. And part of that is preparation. What is God doing in your life now to prepare? And can I just tell you how to get out of that preparation? I don't mean the actual preparation, but to get out of the circumstances. Yield to it and let God add to you what he's trying to add. Then you'll go, then it's like God's go, done here, next. Otherwise, you keep doing what you're going to be reading about with the Egyptians around and around and around the mountain. Because God's trying to say, okay, I'm going to take you around for the 15th time because I love you and I'm trying to get you to catch this. For some of you, that's what you needed to hear today. You need to yield to what God's trying to build in you. Okay? For his glory and his purposes. So there's a maturing, an aligning, a training, a pruning, a preparing of Moses. Less of Moses, more of God. And our last piece here is he's sent for God's purposes. He's sent for God's purposes. He's launched by God at the burning bush. So here God has now done 80 years of preparation in this one man. Okay, Egyptian, best education on the planet, wilderness for 40 years, and now God does the burning bush thing that we've looked at. And it all begins with a fresh revelation of who God is. One of the things you need to realize is when God calls you to something, he usually takes the time to reveal himself more to you because he wants that ongoing relationship. And here Moses is, and, and this is where we, we get this phrase from the Bible, and Moses said, who, who am I going to say sent me? I am who I am, as it says on the... <laughs> All right? And, and, and this is the first time we see God revealed like this, and so he's revealing something new about himself to Moses. You guys, when God calls you to something, just don't only get excited about, hey, we're moving this, it's a job changer, this operator, don't get excited first about that. Let that be the second, let the first excitement of how does God want to reveal more of himself to you? Because when he calls you to something, he wants to reveal more to you because it's always first and foremost about relationship with him. All right? He begins to carry God's heart. So I don't want you to see Moses as this, this task guy. Okay, you're supposed to go to Pharaoh and say, let my, God, God puts it and imparts it in him. And see, when God gives you a vision to do something, he lets you carry a piece of his heart. Like Jake and Amy, you know, Alex and Crystal, you know, as, as this team, you know, begins to, to prepare, they start getting God's heart. It's not just, ah, throwing darts one day. Where should we go? Rocky Top. Oh. You know, no, it wasn't like that. They sought the Lord, they pressed in, and God began to give them they begin to carry. Moses began to carry God's heart as he went in to, to meet with Pharaoh. All right? His staff in his hand. I, I, I love this. And, and there's a forgotten one here. The, you know, there's the, he, throws his, he throws his staff down before God and it becomes a snake. I mean, that would be a little startling. This is still at the burning bush, right? He picks up the snake and it becomes a staff and he goes, wow, this is kind of cool, you know? And he sees it, but there's another one we forget. And God tells him, he said, I want you to put your hand inside your cloak. And when he pulls it out, it's leprous. It's white like a leper. And could you imagine freaking out on that one? 
And then he puts it back in, and, it's, and he's just showing him, my power will work through you when you walk in my ways. And there's a whole new capacity that Moses is seeing of what God can do in and through them. And he wants you to see that too, of what he can do in and through you. He's sent back to the land that he left. He goes from being a prince of Egypt to a fleeing murderer to the deliverer of Israel. He's now speaking and acting on behalf of God. He's destroying the spiritual strongholds of Egypt. God is putting his character on display through this man, Moses. He's delivering and redeeming God's people, and then he points them to a promised land that Joshua comes in and carries the torch. Guys, Moses is an amazing character, and and I just wanted you to get a little bit more familiar with him as you begin to walk this journey through the rest of Exodus this week. What's the big picture here? Last slide. Our big picture, Moses is a picture of Jesus, our deliverer and redeemer, rescued for a purpose. It gives us that imagery, even the blood on the doorpost as Jake was talking about during communion today. It's the imagery of Jesus. We can see it here in the Old Testament. It it, it foretells his coming. How about the living life for today? Where are you in the saving, sending, shaping process of God today? Are you cooperating with it? Or are you fighting it or trying to force it? I just want to encourage you today. His hand is on your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, today you may be here and you might say, never given my life to Jesus. I want to invite you to speak today to someone here that goes to this church and say, I want to know more about Jesus. He's not just somebody that we serve. He's somebody that we absolutely love. He's our greatest affection, our greatest allegiance. And there's a, his hand is upon your life to deliver you from stuck places. That just means taking you from where you're trapped and helping you be free. And he wants to redeem your life to take where it was and make it something beautiful. So if you don't know Jesus here today, I want to encourage you, speak to somebody here that attends the church. Come up and see Jake or some of the leaders that you saw serving communion today or leading worship, and they'll they'll point you that way. If you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to say this as literally I close. God's hand is on your life. There is a calling on you. It's been there from before you were even born, according to Psalm 139. God's hand has been on your life. He's been preparing you for something. Don't be in a rush to get there. Don't let the world's system of how they do this become yours. Instead, trust God, knowing that there's a shaping season for a mighty sending. One of the leaders in my life, a guy named Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of Youth with a Mission, <clears throat> when I was about 21, 22, Lauren said this to me, and I never forgot it. He said, the broader the calling of God on your life of influence, the longer the preparation. Something good for us to reflect on today. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your mercies that they are new every morning. Thank you, Lord, for the life of Moses that you have written down and put right in front of us. Thank you for the might and power that was on display in what you were doing, Lord, there in Egypt, routing the Egyptians, revealing yourself to them and your people. And Lord, as we close today, I just would ask that where you are nudging us this morning about your character, about your ways, about our own journeys, the preparation season of life, Lord, would you help us to trust you with all our hearts? 
not to lean on our own understanding, but on our, all our ways to acknowledge you. And your word tells us in Proverbs 3 that you will make our paths straight. Thank you that you are worthy of worship, worthy of being tr- trusted. Thank you that you're a God that desires to prove yourself over and over. Lord, as we jump into the next part of Exodus this week, would you continue to reveal your character to us, your ways to us. In Jesus' name.